The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. U.S. markets rally to their best daily performance since November as the jobs report raises hopes of a soft landing. The Fed's Raphael Bostic says the pace of hikes could slow further if the labor market eases. I'd be comfortable with either a 50 or a 25. And if, the, if I start to hear signs that the labor market is starting to ease a bit in terms of its tightness, uh, then I might lean more in the 25 basis point position. Travelers pour into China as the country reopens its borders and lifts quarantine rules for the first time in three years, adding to the rally in Asian equities. Elsewhere, shares in Alibaba surging as Ant Group founder Jack Ma seeds control, uh, marking a potential truce, I say potential only, uh, truce in tensions with Beijing. But and insists it has no plans to relaunch IPO proceedings. And hundreds of people are arrested after supporters of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro uh, storms the government buildings and ransacks the presidential palace. Good morning, you lovely people. I'm not just talking about Jeff and Karen. I mean you, the audience, who are sticking with us at 7 CET, 6 London time, and goodness what time elsewhere around the world as well. So look, I think there are so many fascinating things going on at the moment, not least the fact that the FTSE is trading a four-month high and these markets are rallying aggressively, but they're rallying aggressively, or they certainly were on Friday. On the back of what? And are they rallying, setting us up for a fall? Uh, and, and is this a rally which is being enjoyed by the investor, by the retail investor, by the professional investor? And I think all of those questions are really, really pertinent because it wasn't supposed to be like this. We weren't supposed to be rallying now, according to the professionals who parade through this channel, who parade through Squawkbox Europe, are saying, no, we haven't had the full depth of the earnings recession yet. You can't rally historically, meaningfully, sustainably into what could be a recession. And, and the problem is the market's not quite sure about that. And it is trying to rally. And it's saying, well, if you all think we're going to rally in the second half of the year, and if you think the Fed's going to abate on its rate hikes in the second half of the year, and we're going to stare it down as the market as well, then why don't I get ahead of the curve? Why don't I buy it now if it's going to rally at the tail end of the year rather than wait till it's 15, 20% high and I've missed the rally? And that is the logic of some. And I can tell you this is quite an unloved rally in many ways. Retail investors last year, and this is Jeff Stat, found it very, very difficult. So I won't give you the actual details because it's Jeff Stat. But I, I've noticed that some of the, the popular trading products out there on the CFD markets, most people are short. Now, if you're short on the market and it's rallying, that means it's unloved. It means you, it, 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 there's some form of upside capitulation perhaps from some investors who are just throwing in the towel saying okay the, the experts told us we're not rallying now but we're rallying and I kind of don't really like my short and I'm worried about it and it's costing me on the margin front and actually I want to enjoy some part of the rally so just have a think about that because the catalyst for this move on Friday was what ladies and gentlemen it was the fact that the unemployment figures came in slightly better than expected at headline level 
Seriously, 223,000 jobs created. The mean was 200,000 jobs created on the payroll. But what did you cling to? You went to the subsets and you had to look where you could find something to mean for the rally. And you found it in this slowing pace of average earnings increases, which were at their slowest level since August 2021. But it was still up 4.6%. And it was still inflationary. Maybe the, you know, we started to use the word disinflationary a little bit, but it was still going up. But this week, you're going to be tested left, right, and centre. Should we move on to the Treasury? Sorry, I, I keep some of the boards going. You're going to be tested again, left, right, and centre. Today, have a look at this amazing data, which we talked about a lot last month, which is the credit figures as well. Yes, we're down from our highs, but if you look at the American household, is it in fine fettle with excess savings, or has it got a problem? because it's having to tap more revolving credit at multi-high levels in terms of the yield. And the answer is it could be a bit of both, depending on the households. Uh, elsewhere, and we'll move on to the dollar cross as well. Uh, we've got Mr. Powell speaking uh, um, at a Riksbank Symposium in Stockholm. I'm not sure if he's there virtually or not. I have to be honest on that one. And on Thursday, my goodness me, you're going to be excited about the CPI data. And he's the core going to show a five handle down from six as well. So there's lots of pitfalls for you as well. Lots of historical precedences that the expert on this channel tell us that actually you should very much be worried about. But in the meantime, the market rallied. The pound rallied against the dollar, the dollar came off. The euro rallied against the dollar, the dollar came off. The yen's rallying yet again, 131.81 as well. Dollar yuan, of course, stays pretty much where it is at 677.96 as well. Let's have a look at um, some of the commodities out there as well. And what was interesting is last week, actually, despite hopes that there will be a shallow recession as well, um, WTI and Brent got an absolute drubbing last week as well. We saw the WTI price down 8.1%. Brent was down 8.5%. I'll show you the Asian markets. We've got uh, uh, a holiday in Japan. Uh, I think it's the coming of age day holiday. So uh, to all our friends in Tokyo and beyond, uh, I hope you're having a nice restful day uh, whilst watching CNBC, of course. Uh, up 1.6% the Hang Seng. Uh, ASX 200 up six temps. Um, and the Nifty 50 up 1.5%. By the way, in Australia, I saw some horrible uh, housing figures in the last 24 hours. Really weak demand there. Uh, opening calls for European markets. And now this is very interesting. We are called higher, but not as much as some of you might think, given the moves we saw in the US late on, on Friday. But maybe the European outperformance last week, maybe some of that's coming back a little bit now, and the US is having more of an acceleration towards the tail end. I.e., last week, for instance, the S&P was up 1.5%. What do you think the CAC was up? Six percent. So, you know, big moves. Uh, the DAX was up 4.9 percent. The FTSE up only 3.3 percent. So this is a fascinating market. And this rally is proving very uncomfortable for, and don't get me wrong, very smart people who we like as guests, who we listen to, who we agree with a lot of their, their rationale. They're telling us, don't buy this rally. Mm. It, it's going to go lower. We're going to see the S&P at a low 3,300 level or whatever it is as well. And yet that's very uncomfortable for them, seeing these kind of moves in them. Good morning to you both. Both looking resplendent. You clearly very rested all weekend. Good morning. Yes, we did. Well, well I did. <laughs> <laughs> so the first five days rule is something I think the market looks for, how the market performs in the first five days. If you get decent gains, then perhaps there's some signaling function for the rest of the year. But in reality, there was only really one decent day in those first five days. It's what we've witnessed. So how much stock do you put into the market moves? Some of those down to the data, as you mentioned, this wage spiral that the market's been concerned about that if uh, employers keep on 
raising wages to catch up with inflation, then those workers then go and spend more. And we keep going into this chicken and egg cycle on inflation. So I think the market took uh, this a long way on Friday, hopes that we're finally seeing some breakdown in that rule that's played out over the last uh, number of months now, this inability to really snap the links between inflation and wages. So I think that was a big positive. But the problem from here is what comes next and how do you position around markets? It was fascinating to see investors positioning around the banks ahead of bank earnings season. So what are they expecting from the banks? We know it's not been a great 12 months. M&A has been well down. Uh, the market volatility might have been something to work with. What is it? Is it job cuts? Is that the next big thing that the market is looking for? Some sort of rationalization in some of the banks? I mean, you know, what exactly are they positioning for around that area? The other point is around FANG stocks. I think you still saw fairly lame performance for the trading week, just four tenths of a percent. So investors not exactly piling into that area where I think a lot of retail investors have lost their money last oh, year. The performing sector was materials last week, up 3.4%, echoing your point. Hello. Yeah, good morning. Um, I mean, I think, uh, look, the, the, the data on Friday gave everybody a little bit of what they wanted, I think. So it showed that the jobs growth apparently is still okay. In terms of people willing to quit, I think earlier in the jobs sequence of data, we saw that actually a lot of people are still confident enough about walking away from their job that they feel they can get another one. And of course, the wages number encouraged the bulls to think that actually the Fed may not need to hike as aggressively. On the other side of the ledger, I think, to, to the point that you were making, the Fed has made it very clear in its communication that it doesn't want to see an easing of financial conditions. Continued upside in risk assets would represent an easing of financial conditions. The old saw is don't fight the Fed. In this case, are you taking some risks by continuing to chase the market higher at this point, knowing that the messaging from the Fed is we are going to continue to focus on inflation and tightening financial conditions, which is not a good news story for equity markets. We've had no growth in M2 over the last 12 months for those who are looking for some answers around uh, whether we're going to get um, a recession or not. Increasingly, I think the decline in the two-year note yield and the fact that a lot of the um, seasoned investment bank analysts are now circling around the idea that a soft landing can be pulled off at this point maybe is encouraging some to go back into the market at this stage. But we're still talking higher rates. We're still talking QT. We're still talking about draining stimulus at this point from the US economy and ultimately you've got to figure that share prices have to follow earnings. Just to Steve's point about how the market is positioned and some of the commentators have been speaking to us around the potential for more downside from here because the market uh, is still setting up for a recession, perhaps hasn't turned just yet. I think one of the wild cards that pushed back against that assumption last week was the China reopening theme. That was the one what if. And you can see some of the Goldman Sachs analysts saying this could be one area that is uh, actually pushing back against those downward revisions that you may see that reopening theme in China. This is where we ended arguing last week. The reopening is going so well they're making it easier to get more mortgages. There is a, um, I, I would just commend this to our audience now, there's a terrific piece on uh, CNBC.com about whether the reopening is going to stimulate consumer activity. And I think we're all very aware of the levels of household debt in China, the levels of provincial level debt and the levels of state uh, related debt 
And I think it's a fascinating question at this point. How much dry powder do Chinese households have at this point to go out and celebrate the reopening? There may be travelers pouring in from Hong Kong. There may be excitement about the ability to go in and out of the country. But is that going to lead to the kind of uplift in consumer activity that would justify an equity market rally? We can have the rally anyway without the spending. And I think that's what we're clearly seeing at this stage. It's all about the optimism around the reopening. We'll find out whether it's justified by the underlying activity. We may not have to wait too long. Don't forget early Lunar New Year this year. It's only mm. a number of weeks away. So we might get that first litmus test around Chinese New Year. Uh, speaking of the data, U.S. non-farm payrolls increased more than expected last month, rising by 223,000 ahead of the 200,000 analysts had anticipated. The unemployment rate also came in lower than expected, edging down 20 basis points to 3.5%. Wage growth moderated more than expected, with average hourly earnings rising 4.6% on year and 0.3% on the month. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic told CNBC that the Federal Reserve will stick to its rate-hiking path, even on the back of encouraging jobs data. But he added the pace of hikes could slow to 25 basis points if the labour market continues on the same trajectory. The most important is that we're stepping back from that 75 basis point incremental jump. I think that's fully appropriate as we get more into the restrictive uh, stance. At today, I'd be comfortable with either a 50 or a 25. And if, the, if I start to hear signs that the labor market is starting to ease a bit in terms of its tightness, uh, then I might lean more in the 25 uh, basis point per, per, uh, position. Let's get to Chris Campbell then, Chief Policy Strategist at Kroll. Um, Chris, nice to have you back with us. What, what an extraordinary week. The market sold off on the private sector ADP and then we got the non-farm payrolls and the market bought in. What do you think the right strategy is at this point and what do you think all these labour surveys are actually revealing about the US economy? Well, like remember that that, that labor surveys are always uh, an, a backward-looking indicator of of how things are going. But the reality is that you know the the latest jobs numbers are kind of a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's great to see that Americans are employed, and it's great to see that the wages are increasing. Of course, not not significantly, and that that's also a good thing. Uh, but the but the the curse, of course, on kind of oxymoronically, is that uh, it definitely portends the Federal Reserve. I think it's going to continue raising interest rates and keep basically. An, an in a QT environment um, that's going to, you know, uh, hasten a downturn, likely, you know, a recession this year, which is what we're forecasting. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that I, I, I never bet against uh, or, or always try to try to believe what Jay Powell says. And uh, he's very, very carefully said and very, very candidly said that Americans should be prepared for pain. And I believe that pain is coming this year. And yet, um, there seem to be a lot of analysts at the moment who are circling around the idea that a soft landing can be achieved at this point, Chris. Um, is that the industry talking its own book and trying to encourage investors to continue putting money into funds at this point? Or do you think there's a good argument to be made that it can be achieved? 
Yeah, look, I think you know, like uh, Jay Powell and the, and the Federal Reserve. I, you know, um, as you know well, I, I worked uh, at the U.S. Treasury Department, uh, you know, about four years ago, um, and had been, and worked closely with Jay Powell at the time. Um, yeah, I think that there's there's no question that they have, um, you know, as part of their mandate, they have to make sure that the markets are going great. But inflation, they take very seriously, and until that inflation uh, curve is bent, uh, and we're moving in the right direction, uh, two to two percent target, we're going to stay in in a, in a, in a environment that's that's tight and so you know uh, irrespective of my friends on wall street and we're all we're all trying to make sure that that, that you know that everyone's uh fat and happy and everyone's doing great uh that's for the beginning of this new year uh the reality though i believe and and unfortunately i think is uh is the case that we're going to be in a very tight environment again i don't think we're going to be at 75 percent uh increase now when they next meet but i certainly would think that we're at a 50 percent increase next the next meeting Chris, can we talk about the bond market and positioning? Because we did see a move on the 10-year over the course of last week, about 30-odd basis points, fairly significant move, a lot of it coming Friday trade as well. Where do you think we end up then as a result on the uh, Fed funds rates? And you know, what do you think the bond market is really signaling here? Is it positioned correctly? Uh, you know, it's it's a very good question. I think that there's, you know, I, 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 again, unfortunately, I think we're going to be seeing some distressed and uh, distressed environments, uh, both on corporates and personal. Uh, we're kind of seeing a softening of the of some in some areas in the, in the United States uh, on on the personal side. So mostly in vehicles, uh, and and uh, other kind of high 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 uh, beta high beta loans. Um, uh, so I, we're, I think we're going to see a, a you know a, a quickening of that and kind of moving uh, uh, to a, to a larger and uh, environment where I think that you know that the, there'll be some uh, unfortunately some challenged paper out there that they could be quite quite, opportun- quite opportunistic for some for some credit folks um but I think you know uh, the challenge is that there is uh you know there's a lot of consumer credit a lot of people are now Americans are buying more and more on credit on the on the on the personal side and of course going into the uh, going into this um you know a lot of companies were, were significantly levered and so uh, as we're, we're as we see uh, downward pressure on, on valuations uh, that could really make some channel make for some challenging times both on the corporate and the personal side I'm glad you picked up on distressed debt. I wrapped up my Friday night talking about this as well. And apparently, you know, according to the person I was speaking to, that this is happening across all different types of sectors. It's not concentrated in one area, which does tell us about the amount of leverage in the system from the last cycle. What do we make of how this cycle then going into what could potentially be a downturn, a recession? What does this cycle look like and how different is it to the past cycle? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's I think you answered answered the uh, in the lead in, which is I think that in our, in our past down down cycles, we've seen them kind of uh, bookended, if you will. There was a financial crisis, there was a tech bubble, there was a housing bubble. I think this actually may be across the board. I think that you know we haven't seen most traders, most most Wall Street folks have not seen something like this across the board systemic. Um, uh, you know, downturn um, in quite some time. And so I think that, you know, many, many traders actually have never traded in this environment. And so uh, the answer to your question is that, uh, you know, I think that there's not many people who've seen this because I think we're, this is not going to be uh, booking into, into one sector. I think it'll be across the board uh, slowing. And, uh, and, but, you know, again, all of us hope, and it would be amazing to have a soft landing. It just doesn't appear that way. It just, I, I, again, I am a little skeptical that that's possible. And I, I candidly, as I believe that uh, the Chairman Powell believes the same uh, because of the, you know, we just truly just haven't bent that curve on inflation that must be bent in order for the, for the Man- Federal Reserve to, to meet their mandate.
Chris, what's going on with the US consumer? We've got uh, credit data today, which I'm going to pour over. You'll probably pour over as well. Is the US consumer flush with excess savings cash or is it actually in a lot of trouble? And hence is why it's tapping revolving credit more than it's done in years. Yeah, so I think that, you know, like there was a lot of money uh, sloshing around the system and, you know, and a lot of people have had excess uh, money in their bank accounts, which is, again, a really good thing for, for Americans because Americans are just so consumer focused. And, and so and we, we just love to buy, which is, it makes, makes us one of the best economies in the world. Uh, but the reality and the challenge is that we've now seen uh, dwindling of those savings accounts and of the, of the checking accounts. And now, now people are moving toward uh, revolving lines of credit. And of course, that credit is becoming more and more expensive. Um, and so the deeper we get in this year uh, and, and the more people are, are forced to, to, to pay uh, on credit cards, which are going to be, again, more expensive, uh, you know, I think this is going to be, be lead to some challenging times on the consumer credit uh, on consumer credit. And uh, we should we we probably will start seeing larger uh, default rates uh, as we are seeing in the United States uh, you know, re repo rates and, and on cars and, and other other loans. Yes, I saw some fascinating data about how the US auto industry is trying to have forgiveness on current contracts so that people can roll forward to the next contracts. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Chris. Really good to speak to you, sir. Thank you for, uh, well, I think, staying up late or getting up early for us, either way. Uh, Chris Campbell, no Chief Policy Strategist at Kroll. Well, coming up on the show, we, we really have got some key economic data this coming week. Uh, corporate earnings as well. Uh, plenty for investors to digest. We'll have another look after the break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. It is set to be a big week for corporate earnings and economic data. Now, the German industrial data is due today. Tomorrow brings the long-awaited presentation of the French government's pension reform plan. Uh, this is a big one, don't forget, as we're talking about whether the retirement age can be lifted to 64 or 65. Or well, British retailers, a uh, big week last week, don't forget, it was around M&S. And uh, next, we saw Next in particular setting the lights underneath the sector. M&S got carried along with it. But this week, uh, one of the big ones, Sainz, with numbers out. U.S. banks also to kick off earnings season later on this week. Thursday, we'll see the latest CPI reading out of the U.S. And we have fresh inflation data from both Spain and France on Friday to round out the trading week. Goldman Sachs is reportedly planning to cut over 3,000 jobs this week. That according to Bloomberg, which says more than a third of the expected cuts are set to come from the bank's core trading and banking units. Goldman's resumed its annual job cutting program late last year. Um, I've kind of already said at the wall what I think about the key data this week. I think the credit today is going to be fascinating. Mm. I think Powell at the Riksbank Symposium will be interesting as well. And obviously people will be trying to glean clues. I don't think they're going to get much from Powell, to be fair, apart from his reaffirmation uh, of the firm stance from the Federal Reserve, I think we're expecting 50, 75 base points over the next couple of meetings and then perhaps an abating thereafter. But um, for me, it's all about the CPI this week as well. We had a slightly better than expected or slightly weaker than we expected CPI print last time around. I think that's where all the money is this time.
A couple of points. Uh, don't forget, Next was a wild card for markets last week, and I think one stock can change perceptions around a sector, but Gee. also give you very big one. wild swings. And I think we've had other earnings seasons like this yeah. where the potential for it to be a risk-on event or risk-off event, depending on the stock, is quite key. So I think it might be slightly bumpy based on the individual numbers. The other big point is, we're hearing a lot about business reorganisations and staff layoffs. Could be that be the factor that shields some of these stocks from some of the negative factors about higher import costs still and uh, slower revenue because we're potentially going into recession. The other interesting thing, just to throw in to, on, onto the top of that, <coughs> is just how quickly input cost inflation appears to be collapsing in key economies like Germany. I think when you look at the industrial numbers, it's just incredible you mean gas how quickly. Well, primarily gas prices, but I also think the reopening of China because there's a lot of semi-finished product that comes into the German economy and goes in the opposite direction. I think those prices are down as well here. So it look, does look to be a bigger story. But actually, this was, wasn't what I wanted to mention. I was just saying to you before we went into this conversation that in spite of our scepticism about the European banking space and some of the challenges that we've got about cross-border M&A, about the ability of these banks to actually make a decent margin off the back of higher rates, the market hasn't really cared about the underlying. It's bought into the idea that higher rates are going to bring better profits or at least better performance for these banks. And if you look at the five-day performance of the euro stocks, up nearly 9%. If you look at the one month, 11.5%. If you look at the three month, up over 30%. So as much as we, I think, by and large, have continued to raise questions about where the um, thick part of the profit curve is in this story about interest rates rising again and whether it would be the banks that have the ability to pass that on to customers who would then flatter bank profits. The market's drawn its own conclusions and does believe that actually this is a moment where European banks finally, no. finally get a little bit of sunshine. Well, they, have, they are trading significantly <laughs> below par on the price to book. I mean, a US bank, you, find, you struggle to find a, a major US bank investment or consumer facing, which is trading below a price to book of one, whereas you struggle to find one above one in Europe. Even the, 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 the cream of the crop yeah. trade significantly below one times book value. I want to make a different point around earnings season. We know that, and this is to your point, how you feel every earnings season, that the bar gets lowered so much so that companies oh, yeah. can, yeah. can clear the hurdle. And we saw, of course, uh, what uh, expectations for the fourth quarter, 6.5%, uh, huge sharp revision down is what we've seen. But what about the next uh, number of quarters? What are we going to hear from corporates this time around? If you think about a lot of companies we know, they feel as though the outlook is starting to sour. How much clarity do they actually have? We've been through certain periods in the last number of years where there's been no transparency whatsoever. Companies just refuse to give guidance. Will we be back in that boat again this time where a number of companies say, look, we, we just can't see down the line? Or will we have a simply dour outlook because a lot of business is on hold? I think that's going to be quite key. To be a complete cynic, um, a recession potentially looming but not actually there is a very, very good opportunity for management to cut costs aggressively, to warn the staff that you better not ask for pay rises, to put pressure on your suppliers further down the supply line, to, tell, to warn uh, people that things are going to be a little bit tougher across the board as well. So dare I say it, with a degree of cynicism, a lot of managements will use a potential recession rather than the real one uh, to actually improve their margin. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think actually a lot of that um, difficulty with visibility is lifting 
you know, hopefully we don't get another awful variant that sends us all back into lockdown. But for the time being, it does feel to me as though, well, it does feel to me as though the mists are clearing here (laughs) and management actually understands the risks. They may not like the risks, but they have a much better sense of what the challenges may be through the rest of the year here. It's, It's still energy prices related to the war. It's still inflation and the battle the central banks are engaged in. And to Steve's point, I think it's, well, actually, is there an opportunity here to improve margin or at least maintain the bottom line by getting rid of some fat at this point? Um, I just wanted to come back to the banks very briefly because the one number that I didn't give, and I was hoping that you guys would pick up on it and challenge me, but on a one-year story, you are still down 2.8%. So for all of the upside that you've seen over those shorter periods over the last 12 months, the reality is that if you owned the banks, you've made no money over the year. Oh, yeah, but you've outperformed on a relative basis. But as, 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 as one of our guest hosts once said, you can't eat tins of beans based on relative performance if you're still down. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.